All right, we're here for another episode of Minutes with Monks. Special guest star today, Jay Posh. We're talking about the Gage Canal and why it's so important to know everything about water in the city of Riverside. So, Jay, where do you uh, currently live? Not the exact address, but what basic area? I live in the Green Belt of Riverside. Why do they call it the Green Belt? Well, it has... uh... Well, all the orange trees, lemon trees, avocado trees, large properties. How many acres do you have here? Uh, I sit on five acres. Okay. What's that big empty pile of dirt next door? There is no, it's another five acres I also own of lemon groves. Okay. So we'll get into that specifically in a bit uh, between oranges and lemons and avocados. You, you, I'm assuming you have all three here on the property. Yes, I do. Okay. So tell me a little about, let's just assume I'm from uh, Orange County. I just came out to Riverside looking at these properties, five acres, really impressed with how amazing they look and smell and five acres of citrus. Why is it important to have Gage Canal shares and what is a a share of the Gage Canal? Well, first, the reason you need, of course, the Gage Canal is to take care and water all these trees that we have on the property. Uh, I don't have an exact amount, but we have I have a variety on this five acres. I have a lot of avocado trees, and I have a majority navel orange trees. Um, and as far as why we need the water, is of course to keep those things watered. And it's a it's very cost effective to use the gauge canal water. Um, and the shares, of course, are very important to the landowner for the future of the green belt to keep it keep it what it is, which is a preserved area for the greenery. So it's all ag, all uh, agriculture. It's all agriculture. you got many different types of agriculture going on here. Where does this water come from? This water comes out of the ground, of course, uh, out of Riverside and also, from what I understand, Bunker Hill out of the Redlands area. Okay, so. Out of area. So you can read a lot about, and we'll put a link in there where you can actually read more about Matthew Gage and the history of the Gage Canal, where the water comes all the way from the base of the mountains, all the way out here to Riverside across all this land. If you're familiar with the city, you've probably driven on Victoria Avenue, you've driven on Dufferin and Cleveland. So those are all um, streets that are right in the heart of the green belt here in Riverside. If you had to explain to our listeners, how does the water work? How often do you get it? What do you have to do to receive um, this gauge canal water? Well, first you have to be able to, if you buy the property, the canal shares come with the property, uh, assuming that you, the property originally had it. And then second, um, how do we get the water? The water comes up, in my case, it's being pumped up from the canal, from a pump station that brings it to my property. And that happens every two weeks for 24 hours. And that's 24 hours of water continuous for basically, and that happens twice a month. Okay. So those days, um, what just, if you would just describe, what do you typically have to do on the days when you're getting water? Well, you go out and I have a furrow system and it works off of a gravity fed uh, pipe system that uh, brings water to each row and that water comes out of the risers or the standpipes 
And then once it comes out the standpipe, of course, it goes down and it just runs down a furrow, which is a ditch. So if you're a newcomer to Riverside and you're driving along Dufferin or Victoria and you see these concrete um, cylinders, which is, are, those is, are that, is that's what's loading up with yes. water? Yes, that's, that's what I was saying. Those are called uh, standpipes. Okay, so the standpipe, you know, and I heard this. It might have been you or some other character who told me. You can always tell the uh, elevation of that property because if it's got super, super flat land, it's going to have a really, really high standpipe. Right. If it's got some pitch to it or a little bit of elevation or drop, it's going to have a more of a, shorter a yes. short and stubby, kind of like you. Just yes. more short of a short and stubby, and stubby yeah. short and round. concrete. Yeah, yes. short and round. That's right. You know, that's the beautiful thing of podcast. People won't have to know that you're six, really good looking. Six five, three hundred and ninety pounds. Well, you're not three ninety. Close. We'll say two ninety. Anyways, so uh, the standpipe. We understand it works. It floods down. What's another way if someone doesn't have the furrows? What's another way that they can they take use, advantage? Uh, they use a pump and they use it by a sprinkler system. Okay, so or, it's pressurized. Yeah, it's a pressurized system, and they use a, you know, it's a. It's a very efficient way of watering. Of course, that's the newer way that everyone is starting to water. Um, it is a little costly, but at the end of the day, that's kind of the way everything will be going. Okay. And <clears throat> why is it? I've seen some property owners that have taken out their citrus and they start doing just avocado. In fact, I saw something up the road just from you where Gless took out a ton a ton of citrus and it's doing all avocado. Uh, there's more money in avocado. You know, that's uh, the reason we're changing over. There's, it's much more profitable mm -hmm. to do avocados. Um, there's a lot of work involved with it, but it's, it, it, with anything, it's going to be a lot of work with maintenance and whatnot when you do these kind of groves. Let's talk, since you're talking, you know, profit, let's talk money. How much does it cost to get gauge canal water? Um, well, off the top of my head, dollar wise, I think per five acres. I, well, see, it's going to vary without, with per, with the number of shares, with the number of shares that you have, it goes across your property. So I would say on an average, it's probably going to cost per, per five acres would probably be all oh, anywhere from, let's say, I, I'm going to shoot some numbers out because I, I can't say for everybody. So let's go between 15 and Twenty or $3,000 per five acres? Five acres. And for what period of time? Um, is that per month? No, that would be per year. Okay, so we're talking about, and this is what's really interesting. You know, it's every six months. So every six months. Okay, yeah. so some of our listeners are in areas where they're spending three or $400 a month, and they've got a tiny little patch of grass mm -hmm. in the yard, and they've got this huge water bill, and they have all these restrictions. So you're basically flooding five acres at a time at a cost of maybe a thousand or two thousand bucks every six months. So if you didn't have the gauge canal water on your property and you had to just buy the, the quote normal water, you wouldn't be able to afford it. What do you think you'd run? You'd run a grand a month, oh, maybe two grand a month. At least. At so, least. So basically we're looking at two grand for six months worth versus yeah. 2,500 per month. Right. To keep everything alive. What would this place look like? Oh, it'd your be flat ground. It'd be just all it's dirt. All dirt. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, in your opinion, what are some things that are important for folks that have gauge canal shares, or maybe someone who's a home buyer looking to uh, move to the area and they're they're comparing two properties? You've got one home that's got shares and one that doesn't. They're on the same street. How do we figure that out? 
Well, they would be interested in what they really want to do with the property. Uh, if they're really interested in managing and taking care of, let's say it is a citrus, which it's mostly going to be citrus. Um, so when they have the citrus, they want, of course, you're going to need the water. If you don't have it, then, of course, you're going to be doing other things, maybe horse stables or something that mm -hmm. you don't really care for the water. Um, and, and there is other purposes people want to do it. There's, um, you know, I, I, there's a guy down here who does mushrooms out of some buildings, but he still uses water, of course, to irrigate it. So really at the end oh, of the day. Oh, he's growing the mushrooms. Growing it's not mushrooms. just some crazy. Oh, it's growing, we're growing cookie. mushrooms for sale. Okay, at, uh, got it. All right. A commercial rate. Commercial use. Commercial use. There you go. So, <clears throat> um, so really having the flat uh, land is not as advantageous as it is if you have water, water okay. to the property to do your citrus or okay. whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk money again. Let's talk orange tree versus lemon versus avocado. I know it's hard to put an exact dollar figure, but it, just ballpark. Like, well, as you can see, when you go to the supermarket, what's the, what's the most expensive avocado, avocado is going to be there. So you go, what does everyone want to do an avocado? Well, some of the other things that are very profitable would be those little, uh, you know, the kids love those little cutie oranges. So, Oh yeah. Those would be something that would be very highly advantageous for people to uh, put on their property. And also the lemons are always pretty consistent because lemons go in quite a few different, you know, you drink, you have it in your drink, you use it for barbecue and you use it for seasoning, you, you know, you use it for quite a few different things. So the lemons are pretty rounded. And of course, avocados are pretty rounded for the person that likes the avocados. But yeah. Well, I know because it's been quite a few years um, that we've done real estate transactions together. But I think one of the most exciting ones was that five acres next door to you that we we're able to pick up from the bank. Right. And the right. bank. The bank. The bank didn't seem to care about the Gage Canal shares, and we had to become private investigators and find the previous owner. Right. Go get them to sign the certificate. And fortunately, those were still able to we were able to still process those and get them for the property to keep it for what it is today, which yeah. is all lemon groves. Uh, very nice, beautiful lemon groves. Do you remember what you paid for that? Five acres? Of lemon um, I don't know. I think you would probably have a better number than I would, but somewhere around the $150,000 range. Yeah. I think it was 165 to be exact, but I don't, uh, <clears throat> I don't know for sure, but yeah. So basically 165, and you got to pay for the water, obviously, right. and some labor. And I know you enjoy getting on the tractor and going through there. I think that's part of this whole lifestyle right. here in the Green Belt is absolutely. You know, it's, I, a, it's a stress reliever. Yeah, I recently sold a home for one of your neighbors, and he's an attorney, and he said the best thing you can do after a, a bad day in court or a good day is Sit get on the tractor. Exactly, go out there and um, enjoy the dirt and the yeah. trees and everything in between. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't talk back. That's right. No cell phone, nothing. Yeah, Just nothing. get out there. You get out there and have a great time with it. How often do they pick um, on lemons? Let's be specific. Lemons uh, on your five acres, how often do they come out and pick that? That gets picked uh, usually around March, April, and it takes, uh, depending on who's picking it, how long, it, it you know, could it go anywhere from uh, three days to uh week and a half to picking it depending on how they want to pick it and, and they can do two picks they can come in and do a 
size pick where they pick the good big ones first, and then later on they come back when everything, you know, sizes up and turns a little more yellow, then they'll come back and pick it again. Sometimes that could be, you know, uh, we could do an early pick in February and then come back in uh, late March and do another picking. Uh, so it all it all depends on how the crops are doing for the okay. area. Good. So I'm not a uh, tax expert and I'm not giving any tax advice, but what are some benefits of having a, a hobby farm like this for, uh, um, well, for someone I mean, in a certain it, income bracket? It, well, it works out pretty good for, you know, um, if you actually are working the fields and doing it, it, uh, it, um, it can pay for itself. And what does five acres of lemon sell for annually? Ballpark. Uh, it all depends. Could be yeah, a good year. It's, it's like anything else. The it, market's up, the market's, market's down. down. Yep, depend on where they're at. But um uh, well I can go with an average about um let's go for that five acres, let's go with an average of I don't I couldn't even give you a real accurate number on it. Uh twelve, fifteen grand. Yeah. So let's say let's say it's fifteen. I think if you're looking at maybe, um, you know, year over year, whether it's 12, 15, 20, doesn't matter. It's just cash money shows up, they pick it, you maintain it, and it's done. Right. And what's the prime season for picking the uh, avocados? Avocados, we actually start picking them right now all and the way till This is December that we're recording this. Yes. So December through um, – I can go all the way through May. Yeah. Just it, it all depends on the, on, and the weather. The weather makes a big difference. You know, the hotter it gets, of course, the faster they start falling. So, but depending on how you do it, if you're a mass, you know, like some of these, like you talked about the, the new crop up or the new parcel up the street that's doing all avocados, of course, they're going to come and do one big pick and get it out of there. Mm -hmm. I do it more for, like you said, a hobby where I pick out and uh, just sell small quantities at a time to people. And um, like I said, I can make it last for quite a long time because I also use it for my own personal use. How much do you think if someone were to pick a full avocado tree, any any variety really, but what kind of cash would you make on one tree? Once again, that all depends on the area, uh, what the how the season's looking for the avocados. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't actually gone down that avenue because I don't use that quantity. So I couldn't give you an accurate answer on that. How much do you sell a bag for? I know you sell a discount. Uh, I sell, yeah. So I do usually five avocados per bag for four bucks, which is a very reasonable. It's better than the store. Right. Okay. So, so if we're looking at uh, a normal size tree, I mean, a lot of your trees are 10, 15 years old. They're younger yeah, I, trees. How many avocados do you think you get oh off of a gosh. tree? The ones that your dogs don't get. Yeah. To <laughs> Yeah, as they get them off the ground, the ones that do fall off. Um, wow, that's a good question. I, I could, uh, let's see, if I had to guess, just like one of my big ones out here, I could probably guess around 1,500 pounds. Yeah, so I mean, each tree, and and I've, I've gone through this with other neighbors of yours, but it just seems like the profit per tree is amazing, amazing when it comes to yeah. avocados. Yes, it is. It is quite, you know, um, your return's a lot better. Yeah, Like we talk about, that's why you see a lot of these guys tearing out these orange trees, uh, which is getting, 
a lot less compared mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> uh, to the avocados. Because so. we all know the history of Riverside. And if you don't, we'll put a link on the podcast and put a link on the uh, the YouTube channel where we can actually show you the history of Riverside and show you what happened, obviously, you know, 100 years ago here in the city and how we really just blew up the entire citrus industry here in Southern California. So um, next question, how long have you lived here in the Greenbelt? I've been here since 2003. Okay, so now it's 2019. So you've had plenty of time. What are some of your favorite things about living in the Greenbelt? Well, as you can see, we're sitting outside and uh, the moon's coming up and we have a fantastic view of the moon and the... I guess you want to call them Hollywood-style trees lining Ooh, our streets. That's true. There you go. That put off a tremendous sound when we have a breeze, and they have a very fabulous look. So it's these giant, and that's the that's the beauty of uh, podcast, Jay, is they can't see shit, actually. So, right. Um, we have Washingtonian, Washingtonian palms that line up and down the street here, and it's just beautiful because it's a nice backdrop. Well, that was what I was saying about you know the Hollywood scene of the, oh, yes. the palms that you would see. Giant skinny palm trees. That's beautiful. exactly what we have. Sounds great. Looks great. Sounds great. I wish our listeners could actually smell how amazing this is, especially when the orange blossoms come in. Oh, oh that is the, it is a very, uh, as long as you don't have allergies, it's a beautiful time. <laughs> <laughs> Let me preface this. If you're allergic. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. It. So uh, it's it's interesting because we had, we had talked about this before. If you're in Orange County, you want to see the ocean. Yep. If you're in San Bernardino County, you want a nice view of a snow-capped mountain. mountain. If yep. you're here in Riverside, what you want to s- see the Greenbelt. Yep. You yeah. want to see it. You want to smell it. Yep. You want to live right here. Yeah. We're in the middle of the city, but we're in the middle of our citrus, kind yeah. of a private oasis. Because what are you? How many minutes to a grocery store? And- oh, five minutes. Yeah. yeah. I know you like to joke about your... Private ice box called Seven yep. Eleven, right down the street. It's you know. about four and a half minutes down the street. You're never out of anything. Never out of anything. All right. So, okay, let's move ahead. Um, something that we like to talk about with each guest okay. is we want to ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing why Riverside. How did you end up here in Riverside? Well, I was born and raised here in Riverside. Um, well, as you know. Oh yeah, well yeah. Full disclaimer here. Um, <laughs> we were neighbors as yes, young adult, yes. young kids. And Jay uh, was the rotten next door neighbor. Well, not next door. He was a couple doors down from me. But we were very lucky to grow up in a, a great very, neighborhood in Riverside, that which was, is very close. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, you, like you know, we we overlooked a lot of this. Uh, yep. Yep. These orange trees and got to hear the fans running in the you know early morning and the cold days and all that stuff. Coyotes, and coyotes, and that's right. Um, you know, talking to the people that lived up there on the Poppy Hill. Yep. The, Actually, we'll know. do another podcast just on Poppy Hill. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, talking about some of these guys that come out here and lit the smudge pots way back in the day. Now, what is in a smudge pot? A lot of people say, "What are these little funny things you see outside yeah, the museum, be- or these funny things that you see?" Um, Next to the Gless Ranch, the little fruit stand right, along right. Van Buren. Well, those are what they used to use to um, keep the groves from uh, getting all the frost. So way back, they used to use, I guess it was a, I want to call it a, a bunker oil or something that put out all the, it put out soot and it kind of settled on the tree leaves so they would uh, 
have an insulator on them. So there's a common misconception that they poured, you know, diesel or anything well, in that, there. It, and, they, and that was just the heat. The heat would actually keep the trees yeah, from getting ruined. It was used for, they used it for the soot. Yeah. You know? And uh, your dad actually had some uh, knowledge on that, which is amazing from, yeah. like we talk about, he, he was one of those guys that was out there filling it back when he was yep. a young kid. And, it's an amazing thing about yeah. being born in 1935 and spending a lot of time here. You you can come up with some crazy, crazy yeah. stories about what they used to do, do. here yeah. in the city of Riverside yeah. in the 40s and in the 50s. Yeah, it's really it's really quite interesting, all this stuff. So that's what those um, smudge pots, but now a lot of people put kerosene and diesel, um, you know, and they can't, you know, you don't, you don't most, you don't use them in the groves anymore. Um, but for people around there, you know, a little campfire around their backyard or a little party they're having, they throw diesel on them and you know, they put off a tremendous amount of heat when they uh, are tuned properly. Sure. So, again, for you, I know uh, obviously where you first started here in Riverside, but how did you How did you end up in Riverside? How did your dad, you know, choose uh, Riverside? Well, my, my dad came from Germany. So when he came here, he ended up in uh, Los Angeles, and then he worked his way out here to uh, Riverside and started at Bourne's Industries. So and a lot of a lot of folks that are familiar with Riverside, they know they know Borns and they yeah. know the connection with uh, not just engineering but also our local private university, which is California Baptist university. university. So what did he do there at Borns? He was an electromagnetic engineer. Wow! So from Germany to California yeah. to LA to LA and to from Riverside LA to Riverside, and uh, that's where we started. And that's where, of course, then I was born here in Riverside. It, uh, you know. Riverside Community Hospital, and I haven't moved far since. <laughs> well, most people do stay within a certain radius, but that's that's a pretty tight radius right there. Yep. Okay, so that's why Riverside. And if you were to speak to folks that were trying to make a decision on, you know, I'm going to move here, here, or here, just tell them why Riverside and why the Greenbelt. Why, why do you think it's a good place to raise a family and a good place to live? Well... Riverside's still a small town feel, even though you got a very wide range of and variety of things that go on in this town. So um, it's been, for me, um, quite versatile since I still work. I work in the next town over in Corona, but um, it's everything is so local. Mm -hmm. And... Like I said, for where we live in the Greenbelt, it's a little like a piece of paradise in the middle of the city. Yeah. Well, I love it. I, I always joke with you and say this place is like Disneyland for grownups. So exactly. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, one thing that a lot of folks that aren't really into, you know, ag or, you know, growing this or doing that, they just they just want space. They want privacy. Um, talk to us just for a second. What kind of what kind of fun space could you put together on a nice five acre parcel hill? parcel here for maybe maybe the toys well you got the you know the guys that would like hot rods you can you know have yourself a nice big garage with all your toys uh depending on what your toys are like i said and uh you got plenty of space to do outdoor recreational um, okay because i'm um, looking around here we got a we got an outdoor room big yeah. kitchen fireplace we got a sand volleyball court there we got a pool behind us we have a very large garage for all our utility vehicles and fun the fun stuff fun stuff for yeah. the farm 
And then we have, uh, you know, tennis court for yeah. You need well, you need that for the kind day of stuff. we have to go get dressed up and <clears throat> play around a tennis in our <laughs> dolphin shorts. Yeah, that's right. Oh, geez, that's that's a good thing. This is not a YouTube video. It's a good right. thing. It's a podcast. <laughs> so yeah, everyone needs a three or four thousand square foot shop, and it's nice to have that privacy. And obviously, the setbacks are a lot uh, a lot more lenient here in Riverside than they would in a high density place like Orange County or. Or L.A. County. I know a lot of your neighbors have moved from all over the place. Yes. Well, as you know, you're a realtor in town. You've seen these people coming from quite a distance to come just to, to find these properties, that, which yeah. are uh, very well spaced. Uh, and like you said, the setbacks and then the trees that give you the privacy yeah. that you uh, would enjoy. Or, you know, some people, for most people that are looking for that, that's what they want is the privacy. Sure. So that's great. Well, I think just in summary here, we can all agree that the Greenbelt is a beautiful place to live. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the fact is, you don't have to have five acres. There are certain properties here. There are properties that are smaller than five see, acres. I, I, that would that would be something that would, I'd like to you know I learn more about. But some of these properties do. Or there's a couple half acre properties. There's mm-hmm. of course there's one acres. There's two acres. And how they got split at the time, uh, whatever the Whatever the property was and how it ended up that way is a very, that is a whole nother. Sure. And the laws, I mean, obviously, you know, laws change everywhere as the time goes on. But, you know, I recently closed one this week that was on the corner of Cleveland and Jackson. That was part of an 80 acre property. But because of some changes and some uh, interesting decisions uh, by some folks in the city years and years ago, this one yeah. was on just under an acre, and it it closed for five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But for five fifty to have it almost an acre and a beautiful custom home and a view across just acres and acres of citrus and a ton of avocado trees on their property, you look at any other city right now in two thousand nineteen within a half hour drive of here, and look what you get for five fifty. And this is a tremendous well, value. And, and we get. Um, this is a thing about the water, as we discussed earlier, is having water helps everybody because now you're able to plant these beautiful trees um, mm-hmm. well, like that property you're talking about. Some of those trees down there are amazing old trees. And without that water, you wouldn't have those trees. And this is the problem. We're always saying, oh, the, you know, um, you know, all these other bigger issues with the, you know, our air quality and everything. This, these trees are the one of the best things you can have to compensate for all these other things. And sure. people get mad that, well, we're using the water for these things, but we also need the water for these trees. That's true. That's so, such a great point. Yeah. So, well, I really appreciate you and I appreciate you sharing your story with us and we've, uh, we've made it under our time limit. Thank goodness. Um, thank you again for listening to another episode of minutes with monks. And this was a visit with Jay Posh talking specifically about Riverside's Greenbelt and the Gage Canal.